Chapter 23 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 23 The Lemonade Stand. Aunt Polly made very leisurely progress coming up from the South. The two friends stopped at every resort along the coast, and lingered nearly a month in Washington. And when, at length, they reached Boston and Aunt Polly came out to spend the day with Pollyanna, her nervous manner suggested she had something on her mind. She came to the point early in her visit. She introduced the subject diplomatically, with an apology for remaining in Boston instead of making Pollyanna's home her headquarters. I feel I owe it to you, dear, to spend some time here. But poor Matilda is so dependent. It sounds like an exaggeration to tell it, but really, when I suggested making you a few weeks' visit, she seemed almost terror-stricken. She simply cannot face the prospect of being left alone. It is lovely that you are such a comfort to her, Pollyanna said tactfully, ignoring the reference to herself and trying by her air of enthusiasm to put Aunt Polly at her ease. Yes, it's pleasant to know that your companionship means so much to your friends. But Matilda is a little too exacting. She's gone so far as to make plans for the summer. Aunt Polly gave an embarrassed cough and looked at Pollyanna out of the corner of her eye. But, to her relief, nothing in Pollyanna's manner betrayed a sense of grievance. What does she want to do this summer, Aunt Polly? Why, she has suggested going west and taking the Alaskan trip. And then by fall, if we were both well and in the mood, she would like to go on to Hawaii and later to Japan. Of course, it would be very pleasant. Very pleasant, Pollyanna expostulated. Goodness, Aunt Polly, can't you say more than that? If I were in your place... I'd try to find some adjective that would do justice to the occasion. I should say it would be gorgeous and heavenly and perfectly scrumptious. Unconsciously, Aunt Polly breathed a sigh of such immense relief that Pollyanna bit her lips to keep from laughing aloud. It does sound alluring, I'll admit. I was always so fond of travel. I only wish, declared Aunt Polly plaintively, that there were two of me, one to go jaunting about the world with Matilda, and the other to stay here quietly and help you out. You go ahead and have your good time while you can, laughed Pollyanna. By and by, when I'm old and feeble, I shall need your assistance. At present, I don't have any more to do than is good for me. And then she proceeded to make interesting inquiries regarding the Alaskan trip, and was glad to see that Aunt Polly's earlier nervousness had quite disappeared, and that, now that the dreadful secret was out, she derived considerable satisfaction from talking over her plans. In order to atone for her long absence, and for the longer one in prospect, Aunt Polly spent many days with Pollyanna, generally coming out alone, though occasionally she was accompanied by Mrs. Aldrich. The latter's manner was propitiating. Evidently, she recognized the fact that she had done Pollyanna an injury in taking away her prop and stay and she lived in apprehension of Pollyanna's telling her plainly what she thought of such a theft. Pollyanna could never quite satisfy herself whether Mrs. Aldrich enjoyed these visits, or looked upon them in the light of penance. 
though after one never-to-be-forgotten occasion, she inclined to the latter theory. This memorable visit fell upon an afternoon when Junior and Judy were operating a lemonade stand on the front lawn in the name of Charity. The lemonade stand epidemic had broken out in the neighborhood about two weeks earlier. A kitchen table had appeared on somebody's lawn, and on the table, a pitcher and an array of tumblers. At once, every child in the vicinity had appealed for pennies and had partaken of rather weak lemonade, to an extent limited only by the generosity of parents and guardians. The case was not sporadic. Almost immediately the disease became epidemic, and in a peculiarly virulent form. Jack Horner was the next victim, and Philip came third. Then the Hamilton children contracted the malady, and the Hunts were the next to succumb. And then, greatly to Pollyanna's surprise, the disorder manifested itself at the Richards' home. Did Inez's mother say she could have a lemonade stand? Pollyanna queried doubtfully when Junior and Judy came for their inevitable pennies. Yes, she did, mother. Honest. And Mary said she wouldn't have such goings-on in her front yard, and Mrs. Richard scolded her like everything. Pollyanna found this news so gratifying that she gave the children double what she had intended. And then, realizing that this form of approbation was open to criticism, she suggested the advisability of using half the money to buy lemonade for children temporarily or habitually out of funds. Of course, it was only a matter of days before the epidemic reached the Pendleton household, and when Junior broached the subject one evening, Pollyanna had nothing to say against it. She hated to lessen a child's pleasure in getting what he wanted by granting a grudging permission. Accordingly, when Junior asked excitedly, "'Mother, when can I have a lemonade stand?' She answered, "'When do you want one?' "'Tomorrow?' "'Well, I don't see any reason.' "'Mother!' exploded Judy. "'When can I have a lemonade stand?' "'Why, you'll have yours when Junior has his. "'If tomorrow is pleasant, it will be as good a day as any.' Judy looked resentfully at her brother. The two were devoted to each other and quarreled as little as could be expected of normal, healthy children. But every now and then Judy showed a twinge of unmistakable jealousy. Junior always wants to pour, she objected. I'll give each one a pitcher. But, mother, Judy spills, Junior cried. That won't matter. It will be out of doors. Junior always wants to keep the money, continued Judy, still discontented. "'Tisn't my money,' Junior shouted. "'It's so poor little boys and girls who live in the city where it's awful hot "'and don't see any birds or any dandelions or any green grass or any cows or any... any... "'I don't like cows,' interposed Judy crossly. "'Well, anyway, it's so poor children can go out into the country and have a nice time. "'Tisn't my money.' "'Both of you may have a little cash box,' promised Pollyanna. And we will get Nancy to lend us her long table, so there'll be lots of room. But, even with these concessions, Judy's manner suggested a sense of injury. Mother, she whispered as Junior moved away. Mother, do you like Junior? Like Junior? repeated Pollyanna, really taken aback. Why, of course. Don't you? 
Yes, Judy admitted reluctantly. Only, only I wish God hadn't made him that way. What way? questioned her astonished mother. Oh, you know, Judy's expression indicated the keenest disgust. All those freckles. The following day, the lemonade stand was inaugurated on the lines Pollyanna had suggested. A large kitchen table with a porcelain top was set close to the sidewalk, and two chairs placed back of it, where the charity workers could take their ease in the intervals when business was not rushing. A pail of lemonade, generously supplied with ice, and also with a soup ladle for filling the pitchers, occupied the center of the table. Junior was supplied with a large glass pitcher, and Judy was reconciled to the smaller size of the pitcher assigned her by the fact that it was blue. A dozen tumblers were arrayed before each child, and each was supplied with a small wooden box containing 25 cents in pennies to serve as change. Pollyanna was anxious to train her children to be businesslike in their giving. She had seen too many women make a cake for a church sale and then buy it back to be satisfied with generosity, so short-sighted. She had tried to interest Junior in the figures set down on a sheet of fool's cap, representing the cost of the necessary lemons and sugar, and she had explained to both children, painstakingly, that this cost must be deducted from the gross receipt, the fresh air fund receiving the remainder. Business was brisk from the start. Mrs. McGill and Philip were almost the first arrivals, and, having paused to patronize both vendors, stipulating with each that she should be served only half a glass, Mrs. McGill went indoors, leaving Philip to his fate. If I stayed and looked on, I'd become a regular wet blanket, she told Pollyanna. Philip has a quarter in his pocket, and of course, he'll drink it all up before he stops. If I were around, I should be continually suggesting that he had had enough. Don't you think it is better to have an occasional stomachache than to be continually repressed and checked and kept from doing as you please? Pollyanna was even more philosophical. Oh, his stomach won't ache. Not on a quarter's worth of lemonade. When you know boys better... You'll be amazed at the gastronomic feats they're capable of. Mrs. McGill looked through the window at the gathering children, who reminded the onlooker of swarming bees, and her eyes were curiously bright. Pollyanna, she said slowly, you've no idea how interesting life has become the last few months. It doesn't run quite as smoothly as it did. It's not so easy to carry out my plans as it used to be. There are all sorts of little interferences, and sometimes I'm vexed and annoyed and cross. And yet there's a zest to life I never dreamed of before. It's worth something to wake up in the morning and wonder what the day is going to bring forth. I used to be altogether too sure. Pollyanna's eyes met hers with a flash of understanding. That's just it. You've made life an adventure instead of a cut-and-dried affair. Wild honey instead of dried beef. Philip was asked over to Carrie's Tuesday, said Mrs. McGill, lowering her voice slightly. They had a little cousin visiting them, and Philip was invited for supper. It pleased me tremendously, not that I'm especially keen about the Carries, but if they're ready to overlook the past, other people will be. I told you so, interrupted Pollyanna. Why, I predict that some day. But she never had a chance to complete her prophecy. For at that moment, Mrs. Richards came up the steps, turning just as she reached for the bell to call, 
Only one glass, Inez. Not another drop, remember? The relief from business cares had not perceptibly altered Mrs. Richards. She still looked thin and worn, and as Pollyanna inquired after Inez, she felt more concern for the mother's health than for that of the child. "'Oh, Inez is improving right along,' said Mrs. Richards, leaning back luxuriously in a comfortable armchair. "'She's still very nervous, however. I've been obliged—' She hesitated, apparently not quite certain whether to continue her confidence, but finally finished her sentence. "'I've been obliged to get rid of Mary.' "'Oh, have you really?' cried Pollyanna joyously. "'Of course I hated to let her go. "'She was wonderfully competent, "'but she was all the time nagging at Inez. "'I suppose she is one of the people,' suggested Mrs. McGill, "'whose scheme of things doesn't include children. "'Her idea of a happy home is one where nothing is ever moved "'and nothing ever soiled.' "'Mrs. Richards nodded. "'Yes, that was the way Mary felt.' It bothered her to have Inez running in and out of the house. She said she let in flies. I suppose it did, but after all, you can hardly shut a child out of her home in order to keep the flies out, too. She didn't like to have her noisy, or even to sing to herself, and it made her frantic to have Inez bring another child into the house. Of course, that couldn't go on. Of course not, Pollyanna agreed. But she wondered how long it might have gone on, if Mrs. Richards had continued to be away the better part of each day. You look tired, she continued sympathetically. Housework is hard when you're out of practice. Oh, I have another maid, Mrs. Richards explained. She's not as competent as Mary, but she seems good-natured. I dare say she'll do very well. I am rather tired, however, she continued, but it isn't housework that's responsible. I've been taking a course in advertising in a correspondence school. She paused a moment, as if to enjoy the surprise of her hostess. Of course, I had to do something, she explained. And nowadays, advertising is an important business. I ought to do very well at it, after I once get a start. And one advantage will be that I can do most of my work at home. Pollyanna looked wonderingly at her neighbor. The spiritual upheavals that come with the crises of life, and that shake us to the center of our beings— Leave us, when the shock has passed, little changed. The need of self-expression was as keen in Mrs. Richards as before Inez's illness had stabbed her awake to the responsibilities of motherhood. Mrs. Richards' enthusiastic dissertation on the possibilities of her new profession was interrupted as, with a little cry, Pollyanna sprang to her feet. "'Oh, dear!' she exclaimed with unmistakable consternation. "'There's Aunt Polly and Mrs. Aldrich!' A Packard car had stopped before the house. A uniformed chauffeur was assisting two ladies to alight. Pollyanna went to welcome them, looking so perturbed it was fortunate that both were too absorbed to give her any attention. Pollyanna, what does this mean? Aunt Polly spoke in exactly the tone she would have used years ago had Pollyanna made her appearance with a half-starved kitten in her arms. And Pollyanna, mistress of a home and a mother of a family, replied as meekly as if she had been a small girl, called to account by her rightful guardian. "'Why, the children are having a lemonade stand, Aunt Polly. It's for the fresh air work, you see.' "'There are so many of them,' protested Aunt Polly. "'It will ruin the lawn.' "'We made up our minds long ago,' explained Pollyanna, plucking up spirit, "'that if we had to sacrifice the children or the grass, 
the grass would have to go. And such a noise, objected Aunt Polly, while Mrs. Aldrich smiled uncertainly. I don't know what the neighbors will think. Oh, the neighbors are all in the same boat, laughed Pollyanna. Lemonade stands to the right of us. Lemonade stands to the left of us. Lemonade stands in front of us have volleyed and thundered for days. So nobody is in a position to question why, you see. Come right in. Aunt Polly, with an added disapproval, due to this disrespectful treatment of Alfred Tennyson, stalked into the house and greeted Pollyanna's callers with unintentional coldness, reflecting not her attitude toward them personally, but her feeling in regard to the lemonade stands. Mrs. Aldrich continued to wear the agonized smile of one who, in trying to agree with two people who hold diametrically opposite views, envies the circus equestrian, who only has to ride two horses at once, a vastly easier feat. In spite of the fact that lemonade stands were an old story in the neighborhood, the young Pendletons were liberally patronized. Not only did all the neighborhood children fill themselves with lemonade to the limit of their financial and physical capacity, but passersby stopped for a glass, and an occasional automobile drew up to the curb. Nancy was kept busy carrying off the used glasses and returning them fresh and shining. The two cash boxes began to assume an opulent appearance, alluring to the coveteurs. But if things were going well outside, there was less harmony indoors. Aunt Polly could talk of nothing but the lemonade stand, the noise, the crowd, the trampled grass, the unpleasant prominence of the Pendleton establishment. And since fault-finding acts on general conversation very much like a frost on vegetation, Pollyanna's other callers had little to say. Mrs. Richards was the first to leave, and she carried a reluctant Inez with her. Mrs. McGill went next, and left Philip to swell the crowd about the stand. And Aunt Polly, having driven everyone else away, decided that the chauffeur had waited long enough and that it was time for them to take their departure. Perhaps Pollyanna's expressive face revealed more than she knew of her disappointment that the afternoon, from a social standpoint, had been so far from successful. Whether that or something quite different was the explanation, as they went down the walk, Mrs. Aldrich gave one of her rare exhibitions of individuality. Polly, she said firmly, I am going to have a glass of lemonade. Of lemonade? repeated Aunt Polly, amazed. Yes, Polly. The day is warm. It's... I... I believe it would be refreshing. Aunt Polly looked at the table, behind which the two children were standing. She noticed with approval the shining tumblers. Then her face went from one flushed face to the other, and her querulousness vanished in a thrill of pride. After all, these two beautiful children were of her own blood. Mrs. Aldrich saw the change in her expression, and was quick to take advantage of it. Now come, Polly, she said, have a glass with me. It looks so nice and cool. Aunt Polly indulged in a shame-faced laugh. Of course, it's very unhygienic out in all this dust, she said, but I suppose I can take a risk as well as anybody else. She then addressed Junior. Have you enough lemonade left for two glasses? 
Oh, yes, Aunt Polly, replied Junior, his eyes shining. We've got lots left, because Nancy keeps putting in more ice. I see, said Aunt Polly, with a rather grim smile. Well, ice water is as cooling as lemonade, I suppose. You may give me a glass. And I'll patronize Judy, said Mrs. Eldridge, patting the small girl's cheek. Judy tilted the blue pitcher very slowly and filled the nearest tumbler with a deftness which surprised them all. And while Aunt Polly disposed of her lemonade quickly, Mrs. Aldrich drank hers in little sips, punctuating her consumption by remarks on the warmth of the day and the refreshing quality of the lemonade. At length, having emptied her glass, she fumbled in her purse for two bright nickels, placed one before Junior and the other in Judy's hand. Judy looked at the coin with seeming perplexity. As a businesswoman who had been selling lemonade for several hours, she should have had no difficulty with the bright nickel. Already a number of similar coins lay cheek by jowl in her cash box. After a deliberation whose intentness was felt by every onlooker, Judy extracted two pennies from her box and gravely held them toward Mrs. Aldrich. Her laugh went the rounds. That's all right, dear, said Mrs. Aldrich, touching Judy's curls with a tender hand. Your lemonade is five cents a glass, isn't it? Yes, Judy owned in a high-pitched little voice. Well, that was five cents I gave you, the same as I gave your brother. But I guess my lemonade ain't so nice as Junior's. They all laughed again, and Mrs. Aldrich, who found a real pleasure in drawing out this interesting child, inquired, and why not? Never having had children of her own, she had not learned the perils of curiosity. That's your change, explained Judy, patiently holding out the two pennies. My lemonade don't cost as much as Junior's cause, cause jigs drink out of my pitcher. Mrs. Aldrich's stricken cry suggested the wailing of a banshee. Aunt Polly echoed her in exactly the same key. Without looking back, the two fled toward the waiting limousine, while Pollyanna hurried after them, trying to apologize and express her sympathy, and finding the situation complicated by a hideous and all but irresistible desire to laugh. Jiggs, weary after a strenuous afternoon, was stretched on the grass in the shade, and he looked inquiringly toward the two ladies in a flight. The cock of his ear suggested the opinion that human beings were a strange and unreasonable species of animal. Had he known the cause of their perturbation, his conviction would have been confirmed. From Mrs. Aldrich's point of view, the worst had already happened, but from the standpoint of those interested in the fresh air fund, worse was to come. Poor Judy, perplexed by Mrs. Aldrich's failure to accept the change so generously offered, was still further bewildered when her mother subjected her to an exhaustive cross-examination to learn whether Jiggs had quenched his thirst from any receptacle but the blue pitcher. As the other children corroborated Judy's testimony that Jiggs had tried the lemonade but once, and then had been satisfied after a few laps, Pollyanna seized the blue pitcher and hurried to the kitchen. Junior looked at his sister and scowled. "'You oughtn't to have told them that,' he scolded. Mother says for me to tell what's true. Well, they didn't ask you if Jiggs drank out of the pitcher. Well, he did. 
Junior grew impatient at Judy's failure to grasp the point. The next time I have a lemonade stand, he announced, I'll have it all by myself. You won't be in it. I will too. You won't. I will. You won't. No one could explain later just what had happened. In their exchange of defiances, neither Junior nor Judy realized that each you won't and each I will was emphasized by giving the table a jerk. But at length, the porcelain top tilted and slid to the ground, carrying with it all its equipment of the lemonade stand. The lemonade distributed itself impartially over a considerable area, giving a number of thirsty little grass blades the chance to compare the newfangled drink with good old-fashioned rainwater. A lump of ice, coming to rest atop a flourishing dandelion, must have given the unfortunate plant the impression it had made a mistake in the seasons, and it died without ever knowing better. The lawn was showered with small change, ranging from pennies to quarters, and mingled with the coins were innumerable bits of broken glass, all that remained of the water pitcher and two dozen tumblers. While Pollyanna, with Nancy's aid, picked up the money and collected the glass, she refused to allow the children to help, for fear of their cutting their fingers. Junior and Judy sat side by side on the steps and wept in unison. It was not until the debris had been cleared away and the visiting children had scattered to their homes that their spirits showed signs of reviving. Mother, it was Junior's pipe, rather plaintive and husky still, but with a suggestion that hope was not altogether dead. Mother, we got lots of money for the little poor children, didn't we? Pollyanna was silent for a moment. One of the hardest lessons for human beings to learn is that they must pay for their mistakes. And incidentally, that is one of the hardest lessons for a mother to teach. Pollyanna looked at the little faces, still flushed and tear-stained and almost weakened. Her voice was faint as she replied. I'm afraid there is going to be very little for the fresh air fund. Both children jumped. Why, mother, Junior cried reproachfully, we got lots of money. Why, mother, Judy echoed, we got lots of money, lots and lots. Yes, but you forget you broke 24 tumblers and a pitcher. Of course, mother didn't give you her nicest ones, but the glasses cost a dollar a dozen and the pitcher cost a dollar too. And when you have paid for them, and for your sugar and lemons, I'm afraid there won't be much left for the fresh air fund. It was just as well that Jimmy did not come home to dinner that evening, for the discovery that only seven cents remained for the fund, after all bills were paid, cast a shadow over the remainder of the day. And Junior's evening prayer contained this petition. Oh Lord, bless Jigs! And make him a better dog, so next time he won't queer everything. Late as Jimmy was, Pollyanna sat up and told him the story of the day, almost before he was inside the door. And then, laughing softly, they went, hand in hand, to the children's room, and Jimmy kissed both of the unconscious little faces, even in sleep shadowed by the memory of the day's disaster. As they stood looking down at the sleeping children, Jimmy's arm slipped around Pollyanna's waist. 
I always had an idea that the mothers of boys as big as Junior were substantial middle-aged matrons, and I can't understand how you succeed in looking like a little girl. Pollyanna nestled close to him. I suppose, she explained, it's because I have so much fun as I go along. A little crease showed between Jimmy's brows. I believe I promised you before we were married that I'd be a millionaire someday. I'm a little slow keeping that promise, dear. We are rich enough, Pollyanna answered, her voice eloquent of content. I'd hardly say that. But I do say there's nobody on earth I envy. Do you know, Pollyanna, I hear husky fellows, who look as though they ought to be equal to anything, whining about life as if it were a peculiarly obnoxious practical joke played on humanity. There's a man in our office who's always kicking because he has to work. You work harder than he does, but you don't seem to have discovered that it's a grievance. But I love it, Pollyanna exclaimed, and quoted under her breath, God gives me hills to climb and strength for climbing. Jimmy put his disengaged hand under her chin and turned her face up to his. The eyes of the two met in a long, candid look, and the thought crossed Pollyanna's mind that, if there had been a single reservation in Jimmy's happiness, she would have seen it then. And oddly enough, Jimmy was thinking the same thing in regard to her. Then you say, Mrs. Pendleton, that the glad game has stood the test of matrimony? teased Jimmy, hiding the depths of his feeling under a jesting manner, like the good American he was. An engaging twinkle showed in Pollyanna's eyes. No, she said distinctly. Marriage has made it very difficult for me to play the game. It has? fumed Jimmy, trying to feel aggrieved and failing utterly. Then how do you account for the cheerful sentiments you have been expressing? That's just it, silly. With this dear home and you and the children, there's so much gladness in every day that there's no incentive to hunt for things to be glad about. They're all on top, where anybody could find them. I suppose I'll need to keep playing the game more or less as long as I live, but you've made it so easy, dear, that it's not as much of a game as it used to be. The End End of Chapter 23 End of Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Lemmis Smith